I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? I can see it in your eyes. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What truth? You say you that you are a slave, Neo. Trying to understand this! 20-year-olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters, which they should do more often. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free your mind. It doesn't matter who we are. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. How do you define real? You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. After this, there is no turning back. Are we clear? Crystal. Welcome to The Third Degree Mind. It's been about three weeks since I've released an actual episode here. Uh, the little pause has actually given me a chance to see that we actually do have some listeners out there. I've gotten emails and Facebook messages from a few listeners inquiring about when the next episode would be up. So, here we are. Uh, I am glad to see that uh, we do have a little bit of a listening audience. We are gaining some followers. Uh, by the way, since the last time we spoke, I have created a Facebook page for Third Degree Mind. Just go onto Facebook, search Third Degree Mind, like us on there. You can also reach out to us on Facebook there for uh, uh, for contact purposes. If you'd like to send me a message, you could send me a Facebook message. Otherwise, the email address, as always, is borderline750 at gmail.com. Borderline750 at gmail.com. So yeah, I'm I'm glad to see that we have some listeners. By the way, speaking of our listening audience, I wanted to welcome and congratulate our first international listeners. Uh, we have a small listening audience in Australia, so we've broken the international barrier. I have a special one-of-a-kind Third Degree Mind t-shirt for you folks over in Australia. Like us on Facebook, Third Degree Mind, and send me a message there in order to claim that t-shirt. Uh, for everyone else, I have a challenge for you. My friends at Starbucks are going to give away a $25 gift card to a lucky listener of Third Degree Mind. $25 gift card for Starbucks. I'll explain what you have to do in order to win that gift card uh, a little later. So, three weeks of only those short midweek updates. Just a couple minutes here and there. I know you miss me. So it's about time uh, this episode is long overdue. I came from came back from New York. I'm going to talk a little bit about how the New York trip went a little later. But I came back home from New York uh, a little sick. I don't know if it was the cold weather I wasn't used to. I don't know if it was the stress of chasing my unicorn, which I told you about last time. Uh, the stress of traveling, the jet lag, the lack of sleep. 
All of these things, I'm sure, played a part into me getting sick. I had such a bad cold and cough that I just couldn't talk. I tried. I just couldn't. There's no way to come back to third-degree mind in that condition. I, I was popping that Zycam stuff left and right. Have you ever had Zycam? I'm going to say it's probably the best cold medicine on the face of the whole goddamn planet. It's really the only cold medicine I know of that actually really reduces the amount of time that you're sick. In fact, if you start taking it early enough uh, at the first sign of your cold, Zycam advertises and claims that it'll reduce the length of your cold, which is really the only medicine that does it. It's basically just a high, high dose of zinc. So I've had really good experience with it. I absolutely love it. I'm not really sure why I'm talking about Zycam, but I'm a huge fan. <laughs> If you've never tried it on your next cold, take Zycam. That's why you listen to Third Degree Mind for some of those uh, dumb tips. Tips about life. How are we going to survive the next cold? Zycam will get you through the next cold medicine. All right, there you go. Sounds like a little commercial even. Well, once I got rid of the cold, I ended up having a lot of pain in my mouth that I didn't know where, where it came from. I couldn't figure out what was causing it. So I went to the dentist hate that place. Absolutely hate the dentist. Never been a fan of that. Never been a fan of the dentist. One root canal later, I was all better, except for the fact that I was in more pain from the procedure, and I couldn't talk. I actually wanted to record the day of the procedure. I wanted to record. I had the whole episode ready to go. I knew what I wanted to talk about. I was going to sit down and record it the day of the procedure that afternoon, but then I... I came home from the dentist and mouth was super numb my tongue was numb my lips were numb so I, I couldn't talk there was absolutely no way that was going to work that would have been even worse than worse than when I had the cold you know a congested voice at least everybody can understand that but you know that Novocaine shit only makes you uh talk with a lisp I'd have to talk super slow sound like you know, there's a, there's a hilarious episode of Seinfeld, if you've ever watched Seinfeld. Uh, he goes, Kramer, so Michael Richards' character, the, the goofy guy, Kramer goes to the dentist, gets uh, whatever he has done, so he gets Novocaine, and he gets that numb mouth, and then he's drooling everywhere, he's talking goofy, uh, and he's wearing some stupid shoes, another twist in the episode, and he... Uh, he ends up getting in a cab with some guy that, that looks at him and thinks he's basically mentally challenged. He thinks he's retarded because he's he's drooling all over the place. He's talking talking really goofy. Uh, so he treats him like he's uh, he's retarded and he... Super, super hilarious. It's got to be one of Michael Richards' best performances ever. <laughs> Looks like he gave you some Novocaine. Oh, I'm loaded. So what about the penthouse? Did you ask him? Well, he said that, uh, you know, helps his patients relax a little bit. And he's got a new policy. Adults only. Adults only? Yeah. What the hell is going on over there? Well, you know, it's great. You know, you don't know kids allowed. You don't have to watch your language. You find the need to use a lot of obscenities at the dentist? <laughs> When they pull that needle out, I like the explosive smile. So I couldn't record that week. So we went three weeks with only those little midweek updates, which only keep you occupied for a few minutes each, and that's obviously not ideal. 
so we're back. This week's topic is a deep one. It's an important one. It's one that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. It affects everyone differently, but those of us with borderline personality disorder suffer from this one thing a little bit differently than most other people do. I'm talking about abandonment and the fear of abandonment or desertion, whatever word you want to use. Abandonment is kind of the most common common word that's used to describe this. Abandonment. But to understand this concept, we need to talk a little bit about what we talked about last time. So going back three weeks, we talked about that idea of family dynamics, how the way that you're raised and treated as a child can impact you uh, later in life, how you grew up and how you were, how you interacted with your family can lead to certain characteristics into your adult life. And last time when we talked about that, I challenged you in your free time to to think about that and to write about it. We've been talking about that idea of therapeutic journaling, essentially. Taking that notebook that you bought a couple weeks ago and sitting down in your free time and just writing about your thoughts and feelings. And, and that was one of the things I wanted you to think about and really, really look at yourself and figure out uh, some of the things that happened to you or the ways you were treated as a child or how you interacted with your family, how your family got along and functioned within its household, all those things, and and look at those things and then how that impacted you as you moved into your adult life. There's a lot of speculation and theories in the world of mental health care about what causes BPD. And one of those theories or possibilities is that it starts during childhood at a very young age as a result of some emotional trauma or possibly physical trauma during some critical development stages. Some say that it starts with an infant's attachment to his or her parents or caregivers at a very, very young age. And if there are attachment issues as a baby, it could be neglect or something from the parents, something from parents or caregivers, something along the lines of, of neglect. Those attachment issues can grow into BPD as the child develops. But you know, your brain doesn't fully develop until age 25, 25 years old. Did you know that? So this whole idea of, oh, you're an adult at 18 or whatever. Obviously, we all know, especially those of you with with uh, kids, with especially teenage or young adult kids, you probably realize that, uh, sorry, just briefly lost my train of thought. My phone keeps blowing up. People always want to text me when I'm in the middle of recording this shit. Leave me alone. Put this, put this on. Do not disturb. There we go. Sorry about that. So your brain doesn't fully develop till you're 25. And what I was saying is if you have kids that are teenage or young adult, you know that 18-year-olds are not mature enough to make all their life decisions. They're not going to do very well at 18. 21, we give the society gives the rest of the privileges, you know, that come with drinking and things like that. Really, the only thing that we make you wait until you're 25 is to rent a car, which is interesting to me. It's interesting that we let someone drink, we let someone vote, we let someone have a job, we let someone 
make all the decisions about their life and all this stuff at a younger age, except renting a car. Renting a car, we make you wait until 25 because the rental car companies are the only smart ones that realize that the human brain is not fully developed until around age 25. That's why it's hard for adults to rationalize with children and teenagers because as adults, our brains are fully developed. They're more rational. They see these things differently. They see situations differently than the 18-year-old or the 16-year-old or the 20-year-old, 21-year-old, all those different ages. As I said, if you're a parent, especially of teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. But so what does that have to do with BPD? There's another school of thought out there that BPD can develop much later than infancy because of the fact that, that, that the brain is still developing. So the first theory that I told you is that it starts uh, at such a young age. It starts at a young age, uh, infancy, attachment issues, early, early childhood, because during those critical stages of development, if there's any type of issues or trauma that will affect the development. But the way I look at it, I, I side with this other school of thought that says BPD can develop much later. It doesn't have to be from a result of something that was experienced in childhood or infancy. Because of the fact that your brain is still developing, those are all still critical stages. You can go through certain experiences in high school that could traumatize your uh, emotional development, and that could lead to BPD in your early 20s. And looking at myself, that's exactly what I believe happened to me. I talked a lot about my personal story, my personal background, what I went through in mostly starting with high school. I talked about that in the very first episode when I first created Third Degree Mind. I didn't even have a name, Third Degree Mind. By the way, I never really explained why why we're calling this Third Degree Mind. That kind of reminded me. I did want to talk about that either this week or next week. We'll see if we get into it today. But anyways, I talked a lot about my personal experiences in high school. And a lot of those experiences that I went through led me to where I am now at 28 years old, where the way I look at the world, the way I look at relationships, the way I look at how I interact with different people, a lot of that is based in how a experienced life you know, 10, 15 years ago. So this idea of abandonment, which is one of the most common symptoms that everybody with BPD experiences. And of course, I say everybody, but sure, there could be some out there that have BPD but don't experience abandonment issues. But this is the most common symptom of borderline personality disorder. The most common characteristic, the most common trait of someone with borderline personality disorder is their fear of abandonment. People with borderline have such an intense fear of abandonment that when they are in a relationship or they're looking at their family or they're looking at close friends or anyone that means something to them, they have this intense, constant fear of that person leaving. We can speculate all day where that comes from, you know, these different schools of thought of when when during development this happens or what types of traumas might lead to this. I can only really speculate or comment on, on my own experiences. And 
kind of going back to the story that I told you uh, when I first started this podcast. Uh, if you if you didn't listen to that or if you joined us later and you didn't listen to all the episodes, it's the very first one. I, I believe it's titled My Story. It's when we created Third Degree Mind. And I told you the story, at least summary story, of what I went through in high school with struggling to find someone that liked me back. And that's not that big of a deal because a lot of people in high school struggle with that. In fact, I'm going to say most people in high school, once they start liking people of the opposite sex, if they can't find someone of the opposite sex that likes them, they probably uh, start to feel down about themselves. That's not uncommon. Couple that with what I went through um, with Michelle. Okay, so I had this coworker, Michelle. I'll just give you a quick recap of what, what happened with Michelle. I had this coworker that I really, really liked. I got really close to. We became very good friends. But I didn't... I never was able to cross that friend bridge. I was never able to make uh, make that leap from friends into some type of a relationship. One of the main reasons there was because she was already in a relationship. She was in this relationship with this guy named Marvin. And if you remember what I told you... I got super close to Michelle. We hung out a lot. And then shortly after that, I ended up in a relationship with Laura. And so then I kind of stopped looking at Michelle the way that I did. And I was I was not as depressed about Michelle anymore. Now I'm with Laura. So the four of us, me, Laura, Michelle, and Marvin, would go out. And, you know, I remember one night that we all went bowling and we all hung out. And we were kind of this, this foursome for a period of time. And at a certain point, I... uh, At a certain point, Laura and Marvin ended up hooking up. So here I get this intense feelings of anger, betrayal, all these things that happen when you find out that your significant other is cheating on you. So I get all these feelings due to Laura fooling around with Marvin. And then I look at Michelle, who Michelle is the one who actually tells me that she she's the one that found out about this affair, and she's the one that shares this with me. So now I end up obviously upset with Laura. I, I end up upset with Michelle, the whole idea of shooting the messenger type thing. <coughs> so I go from feeling, you know, up and high on cloud nine with my girlfriend and everything to feeling like complete shit because of what happened. And then and then Michelle tries to convince me that I need to drop Laura. I need to be completely done with Laura. And of course, as you know the story, if you listened, I don't. I don't drop Laura. But because I don't drop Laura, Michelle drops me. And Michelle's just gone. So now I have this unresolved issue with my girlfriend, who I actually forgave and decided to stay with, but it's still an unresolved issue. I'm still with this girl who who completely shattered my world. And then the girl that I actually wanted, Michelle, decides that she can't be friends with me anymore. So... 
that's kind of my first real experience with this concept of uh, betrayal and abandonment. So then, time marches on. Now moving into, now moving into uh, some family side of abandonment. Laura and I decided that we wanted to get serious young. We got engaged at 19 or 20, and we were married by 21. My family was very opposed to this. My older sister could not get along with her at all. Had a very difficult time getting along with Laura. And at the time, I looked at that as my older sister not really being there for me. So now we're talking about not just physical abandonment, but this emotional abandonment. My older sister, who I wanted the approval of, was not going to give her approval of my relationship, let alone my marriage, to this woman that she couldn't get along with. That led to a lot of issues. To top it off, my parents obviously were not super thrilled about the idea that I wanted to get married this young. Even though we had been together for a while, and what's interesting, and I already talked about brain development not being developed till 25, interestingly enough, is 25 is where I kind of looked at my relationship and decided that it was not going to work. That's around the age that we finally separated. But anyways, so my parents, you know, I was talking about this earlier, that parents and, and their teenage kids or young adult kids... You know, they look at the world differently and they see things differently. They see things that the adults see things that the kids maybe don't. And obviously my family, my parents especially, in hindsight, saw something there that I didn't. They knew that we had been together for like five years, which if you're an adult, like, okay, so I'm 28. If I'm with a girl for five years, there's a good chance we're going to get married. Five years is a long time at that point. But being together through high school, or I mean a part of high school, and then college, in our late teen years and early, early 20s, doesn't really mean much. Like I said, your brain is still developing until you're 25. So that amount of time, no amount of time in high school, I don't care if you're together all of high school and all of college, you're still not 25. You could be, <clears throat> you could be together those eight years, and you still don't really know as much about each other as I might, as an adult now, as I might know about someone that I'm dating for two years. Because things are just different when you get older. Things are different when you get older. And if there's one thing that I could tell myself, if I could go back in time and tell myself, it would be to actually trust what my parents and what my older sisters saw. Whatever it was, because they never were specific. They never said, oh, you guys won't last. That was never a, a thought. That was never what was said. But... Um, of course, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, but now I get texts also on my computer here. I like Apple, but I'll tell you what, it's annoying to get messages on both devices, and I can't, I can't even turn, turn the notifications off, so let me figure this out here. Mute this. So whatever it was that they saw, because like I said, they never specifically said, oh, you guys won't make it, so you shouldn't get married. That was never the issue. The issue was always, you guys should just wait a little bit, or, you know, you're still young, blah, blah, blah. If there's one thing I could go back in time and tell my 
19 or 20 year old self, it would be this. It would be that, hey, look, just because you're 18, dumbass, doesn't mean you know how the world works. It doesn't mean that you're intelligent enough to make such life-altering decisions like a marriage. And a lot of people that I know that got married really, really young did not work out. You know, into their mid to late 20s, they, they reached that full development, that full brain development stage. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, this isn't, uh, <laughs> what the hell are we doing? This isn't right. And that happens a lot. But at the time, living through that experience, I felt very emotionally abandoned by the two people that I cared most about their opinion. I wouldn't admit it at the time, but I cared a lot about their opinion. If you had asked me at the time, do I care about impressing my parents? I would say, absolutely not. I don't give a shit about what my parents think. Absolutely not. But deep down, I definitely did. Deep down, I wanted their approval. Because they had ingrained in me all through high school and middle school. They had ingrained in me how important success is. And every time I failed, you know, like at school or grades or whatever, I felt super, super, super down. And like I said, I might have sat there at the time and said, I don't really care what my parents think. But that is absolutely not true. I cared so much about what my parents thought. I, I would strive for their approval in every single thing that I did to the point that both my parents were teachers and I went to school to be a teacher. And looking back, I kind of don't know, I don't know exactly what pushed me into wanting to go to school to be a teacher because I don't think I was ever really in that career. I don't think my heart was ever in that profession. I don't know why I did it if I had two parents that were engineers, hell, I might have went to engineering school. I don't think there was anything about teaching that drew me to that career other than the fact that that's what my parents did. And like I said, I would never admit that at the time. That's kind of a, a hindsight observation that I'm making now, you know, 10 years later. So when I finally made it to student teaching and was like, holy fuck, this is not for me. This is definitely not the career that I want. One of the hardest conversations that I had to have was with my parents and telling them, I, this is not what I want to do. This isn't, this isn't for me. And that was a very, very difficult conversation. That was very difficult because I felt like even before I confronted my parents with this information, I already felt deserted. I already felt like they were not going to approve of this decision. They're both teachers. I just spent, you know, I went to a private college. I just spent eighty dollars to $100,000 on this bachelor's degree. And now here I am at the end of it, and I'm telling you that this isn't what I want to do anymore. And my parents helped me pay for that, obviously. A lot of it is, is, you know, student loans and things like that, which I will be paying for probably the rest of my life because, yes, I am still paying on those student loans. <clears throat> but even before I had that conversation with them, I already felt like I was being deserted by them. Kind of in hindsight, I kind of wonder if maybe I made that decision earlier 
then when I actually confronted them, it was more of a subconscious decision where I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I knew this wasn't going to be the path that I was on, but I just kind of stuck it out because I didn't want to deal with confronting my parents. That could be a big part of it. So we went through that. I felt abandoned from them, their lack of approval in my career change move or lack thereof, just more of not really having a career goal at that point in time. And of course, being super serious with my fiance at the time, soon to be wife. And then, and so I, I got married and then I ended up starting to look at jobs uh, I started looking at, um, well, actually, even even before that, even before that, Laura cheats on me again, okay? So she has this affair now, which, again, this is all stuff that I kind of talked about a couple weeks ago in this last episode. I'm just kind of tying this, I'm trying to make this more about the abandonment issues now. Obviously, so she cheats on me again, I get this feeling of betrayal and abandonment all over again from someone who already shattered my world couple years prior. My brother, so I told you my brother was there for me that night, and I, I told you how important of a role he played in my overcoming this whole issue. My brother told me that um, <clears throat> when he brought me home, uh, he still lived with our parents at the time. So he took me to my parents' house, actually. And one of the biggest things I was afraid of that night was confronting my parents about what just happened and the fact that my marriage was potentially over. That was one of the big things running through my mind. And... I kind of didn't want them to know that I was there because if, I figured this is a work, this is a weeknight. They have to go to school in the morning. They're gonna get up. They're gonna go to work. Hopefully, they won't even realize I'm here because I'm I'm sleeping in my old bedroom, which is in the basement. I talked about this, so I'm in the basement of the house, in my old bed, by myself, and I'm hoping and praying that they don't realize that I'm there. That they'll just get up and do their thing and go to work and never have to come in that room. They won't even realize that I'm there. Well, my brother tells me the next day, tells me that mom and dad knew you were here. They realized you were here. I, I, to this day, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how. But they asked my brother about why I was there. And my brother told them, he said, you know, I don't really know. But I, I think I think there was uh, something going on with Laura. And he from my understanding, and of course, I wasn't there for this conversation. This is what he told me. But from my understanding, he strongly hinted at the fact that Laura had cheated on me. And obviously, I'm sleeping there. So I think they were smart enough to figure that out. And and when he said that to them, so so my question for my brother was, well, what did what did mom and dad say when you said that? And he said nothing. They just walked away. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And my first thought was, 
you know what? I didn't want to confront my parents and I didn't want to have this conversation with them. And I wanted them to just go to work and not address me or not confront me or, you know, grill me, interrogate me about why I was sleeping in their house. That's what I, I did not want to deal with that. But once I realized that that's what happened, they just went off to work. Even knowing this information or potentially knowing this information, they just left. It didn't say anything to me. That was one of the most heartbreaking feelings I could have imagined. Obviously, uh, aside from what my wife did to me and how I felt towards her in the moment. So now I feel abandoned and betrayed by my wife, obviously. But my parents, and like I said, I wasn't even there for that conversation with my brother. That was just between my brother and them. So I don't even know, maybe I'm not understanding that correctly. I don't know. I, maybe they, maybe my parents were so shocked that they just didn't know what to say or what to do. Maybe they knew that uh, I didn't want to deal with them. Because like I said, I, I didn't want to. I would have sat there and told you, no, I do not want my parents to know I'm here. I don't want them to know what, what, what happened. But, but once it hit me that I think they know, once it hit me that I think they know, um, and they didn't say anything. They didn't try to comfort me. They didn't see how I was feeling. They didn't, they didn't do anything except leave and go to work. That was, that was a heartbreaking feeling, a heartbreaking realization for me to realize that, that my parents potentially know about this affair. They know how broken I must be and they do nothing. And as, as a, a parent myself now, and I, I only have a two-year-old. I don't have grown kids. No, no kids, obviously, in, in, this, in this situation where their heart's being broken. But as a parent now, I kind of look at this and I'm like, how would I have handled that as a parent? How would I have handled that as a parent? If, if I knew my kid, my grown adult married child, had just found out that his spouse, his or her spouse, was cheating, fooling around, having an affair... How would I even handle that? Knowing from the kid's side, oh my God, I don't want to confront my parents. I don't want to tell my parents. But also, the need for this young adult, for my kid, my daughter, or my son, to have some type of comfort, I think is just priceless. Maybe I would have looked at this whole situation differently if they had just come and given me a hug and not even said anything, just a simple hug. Just a simple hug and maybe if they say something simple like, hey, we're here for you or something something like that. That's just something that uh, I kind of always wonder about that because like I said, I'm, I'm honestly very torn because from, the, from my perspective, I, I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to deal with them. But at the same time, once I realized that they already knew or they had a pretty good idea of what happened and they did nothing with that information – that really upset me that really upset me that was a very strong feeling of being abandoned i'm going to pause this story real quick in the beginning beginning of today's episodes i oh man can't even talk in the beginning of today's episode i told you that starbucks was going to be giving away a 25 dollars gift card i'm going to tell you exactly what you have to do to get that gift card 
and the reason I talk about this in the middle of the episode is it gives you a reason to listen. It gives you a reason to listen, and you can't just skip to the end and hear hear about the contest. You can't just listen to the beginning and then hear about the contest. So obviously the only ones that are going to hear about this, in theory, are the ones that have listened to a majority of this actual episode, which is what I want. I want to encourage listeners to actually listen to the entire episode. So $25 Starbucks gift card. Here's what you have to do. A couple weeks ago, at the beginning of every episode, I created this little segment that's about a minute and a half long. It's got some different clips from movies, TV shows, things like that. If you can, and, and, and each one, each week has been slightly different. You know, I take one or two clips out. I put a different clip in. I substitute a few things. It's very, very similar, but but each week is slightly different. This week is actually the same as what the last one was, but but there have been a couple changes. So just so we're on the same page, I'm going to use for the for the purpose of this contest for the $25 Starbucks card, this this episode, this week, I need you to tell me all of the movies or TV shows that I pulled clips from. And it's not as hard as it sounds because a lot of a lot of the clips are distinctive. They're distinctive lines from those movies. And they are uh, somewhat famous. So I'm sure a couple of them you know right off the bat. You recognize right away. So send me an email or better yet on Facebook. Like us on Facebook, Third Degree Mind. Like us on Facebook and then send me a Facebook message. In fact, for the gift card... Let's do that. No email. For the gift card, $25 Starbucks gift card. Like us on Facebook, Third Degree Mind. Send me a message on there, on Facebook, to Third Degree Mind, telling me what TV shows and what movies you hear. And the first person to successfully do that will will receive the $25 Starbucks gift card. If nobody gets it this week, uh, I'll give you a little hint or I'll help you out a little bit uh, next time. And we'll try again and see if someone uh, can get it then because I have this gift card that I need to give away to somebody. So that's what we're going to do. So listen carefully to that. Make sure you get all the clips and let me know what they are, what you think they are. And that will be your $25 Starbucks gift card. Now I need some water. Maybe what I need is Starbucks. If nobody ends up winning that, I'll just keep the gift card for myself. All right. So marching forward here, marching through time in my history of abandonment, feeling abandoned, and what led to today, my fear of being abandoned and fear of having to go through one of these experiences all over again. Now, one of the things about someone with borderline personality disorder, like I said, so they have this intense fear of being abandoned. And it's so it's so intense that they will take drastic measures to try to avoid feeling uh, feeling this way, try to avoid someone ditching them, try to avoid someone abandoning them, physically or emotionally, and real or imagined abandonment. My parents, through these different experiences, did not intend to abandon me. They didn't they didn't intend on making me feel that way. That wasn't their goal. Okay, but it's real or imagined, so it, it, it could be just my perception that they're abandoning, abandoning me, either emotionally or physically, and it will cause me, as someone with borderline, to take some very drastic measures to avoid feeling that way. 
So one of the most drastic measures that I took after this incident of being abandoned and betrayed by my wife for now the second time, and of course I never even got over the first one, so that's like a double whammy. So we got that, and then now I got this feeling that my parents are abandoning me because they know what happened, and yet they're doing or they're doing and saying nothing to make me feel better. So the drastic measure that I take to try to avoid this try to avoid feeling this way is I pack up eventually, you know, I, I look for a job out in other parts of the country, uh, Las Vegas for one. And I end up packing up and moving to Las Vegas, bringing my wife, trying to get rid of my parents. So in hindsight, I kind of, in hindsight, uh, I kind of wonder why when I look back at some, at this decision, I kind of wonder why I brought her with if I wanted to get away from her. But reality, there's a couple sides to this. You know, I'm trying to get away from my parents and the way that they made me feel. And I'm trying to bring my wife with, but I'm leaving behind the guy that she slept with, which was a coworker of hers. And I'm taking her somewhere where I know she knows nobody. I know she doesn't have a job, so she's not going to meet people that easily. I know she's not super social, so she's not just going to go out to a bar and meet, make a whole bunch of new friends. So I'm taking her somewhere where she has no friends, she has no family, and I'm minimizing that chance of her being able to cheat on me again. And on top of that, of course, I'm moving away to get away from my family. So, move to Las Vegas, come here. That's the drastic measure that I took, one of several drastic measures that I took in an effort to avoid feeling the way that I felt. So fast forward a couple years again to the stage where I decide I'm not going to stay with this woman anymore. We're going to separate and our marriage is over. She's pregnant at the time. This is a sad story. In fact, I have a hard time explaining this to people because no matter what she and I went through, I'm always looked at as the guy who divorced his pregnant wife for really no reason because I didn't have more proof of an affair at this time. I'll never know if there ever was any other affairs. The two that I caught her in were the two that I caught her in. She didn't come clean in those. It's not like she came to me and said, hey, I have to talk to you about something. I caught her in those, so I'll never know how many happened that I didn't catch her in. Maybe there weren't any. I'll never know. I'll never know. I'll never know. But she gets pregnant, finds out she's pregnant in November of 2014, in December of 2014, I start thinking this is, that's when I start seriously thinking this is not going to work because I don't know if I can even trust her. I don't even know if this is going to be my kid, all these things. And, and again, I didn't have any direct evidence that it wasn't going to be my kid. It was just the thought that it wasn't. So now these feelings of abandonment come up all over again. And like I said, it's, it's real or imagined. So I don't know that she was really abandoning me, but she gets pregnant. I don't really know for sure that this is my kid. So what do I start thinking? I start thinking that she maybe cheated on me again. That's why she's having this kid now. That's why she's pregnant with somebody else's kid. 
Now I start feeling, again, this is perceived abandonment all over again. And what's the drastic step that I take this time is in January, a month later, I move out and I tell her, you know, our marriage is over. And that's it. We're done. There's no fixing it after that. Whether that was the right decision or not, ultimately, all in all, I can promise you right here today, several years later, that yes, the divorce was the right decision. I do know that without a doubt. How I went about doing it, yes, there's a number of issues. There's a number of things that if I could change, maybe I'd go back and I would. Not necessarily to say that I'm sitting here with regrets because I don't believe that I live my life in regret. I don't regret decisions that I made. But if I had the information then that I have right now, or the knowledge, the understanding that I have now, maybe I would have done it differently. I I don't know. That's not the point. You can't live your life looking at how you did something and, and regretting it. Because you already did it that way. You've already lived that time. You've already lived through that experience. So the only thing you could do is try to understand why you did what you did and learn from it. You, go, you, you look back at your decisions, your life decisions, you see how things played out, and you learn from those experiences. And, and maybe if you were faced with the same situation again, maybe you would do it differently, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have regret. You don't want to have regret. You don't want to regret what you did in the past because you can't change it. I can't change how I went about this divorce. I can't. There's nothing I can do to change that. And I don't regret what I did. I just, I think what I know now Maybe there were some things that if I were faced with the same situation again today that maybe I would do differently. That's all. And then that's not that's not a bad thing to feel that way, I think. So January, the divorce and separation process begins. And come March, I have another big conversation that I need to have with my family. And I need to tell them what's going on. And I fly home in March. I sit down with my family, and this is another very difficult conversation that I had with my parents, one of my sisters, you know, my older sister, and my younger brother. I was not afraid of my brother, because I knew that my brother was there. And I actually talked to my older sister in advance. I told her what was up. I told her why I was coming home. I called her and... and explained everything to her and we had a long conversation on the phone and and for the first time she was there for me you know we we she was bawling her eyes out and she was crying on the phone with me saying how bad she wanted to just hug me and you know we're 2,000 miles away and she's just she just can't believe that that's what I went through two years ago with uh with her and, and how she cheated on me and stuff and so I told her that, you know, I need to come home and I need to talk to mom and dad. And my brother knew this also. So both my brother and sister are in the loop on this. Younger sister's out of the picture. She's away at college. She's not going to be there for this trip that I'm coming home for anyways. So she's kind of out of the equation at this time. This is just my older sister, my brother, and my parents. And I'm telling my sister and my brother over the phone how I need to come home and I need to talk to mom and dad about this. I need to tell mom and dad that I'm getting divorced. I need to face mom and dad about what happened in my marriage that they may or may not already know uh, from a couple years ago, and I need to tell them what's up. And even though my wife is pregnant, we're getting a divorce. I need to tell them this. And so I go home, and we're sitting around the dinner table, 
And finally it comes up. And my parents knew something was up because it was weird for me to come home by myself. You know, Laura stayed here in Las Vegas. So it was weird for me to come home by myself. And it was such short notice. And it was like in the middle of the week. And it was just, it was really weird. So they knew something was up. So we're sitting there around the dinner table and we're talking. And finally, you know, we just get into it. And I start spilling the beans on what happened a couple years ago and how I've been feeling lately now. And my parents start to tell me, my parents start to respond, and again, like I said, real or perceived abandonment. If I don't have full 100% support, if I feel like they're not there with me, I just flip out. And this is a super, super difficult conversation anyway, so my emotions are already very, very high. So I'm telling them the story, and they their initial reaction is that you can't get divorced. You can't get divorced because she's pregnant. And you can't do that. You can't abandon her. You can't abandon her. And my first thought is, well, what the fuck about me? What the fuck about me? Because she abandoned me. She broke my heart. She shattered my world. Now you as my family, who I'm trying to fall back on, now you're abandoning me. Now you're deserting me and leaving me out in the open. You're leaving me out alone. And your lesson, your your statement to me is don't abandon her? Are you fucking kidding me? I was so fucking pissed. And I started getting, I started overreacting, you know. I started getting in that, like I said, we take some of these, dra- we take some drastic measures to try to avoid feeling like that. That's part of what this, uh, what this disorder does to someone. So I start to get defensive and I'm like this this you guys aren't understanding this is what has to happen you know I'm not I'm not asking for your permission I'm just telling you that this is what's happening in my life right now blah 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 and of course there's the religious side of this too my family is extremely religious so that's another big reason why they're totally against this idea of divorce so this conversation continues and then all of a sudden out of the blue my older sister who was in my corner on the phone. Like I said, she was crying with me on the phone. We were so close. Things were good. I thought this was the best I've ever been in a relationship with my sister with. I thought that was the best our relationship has ever been. And then my sister starts backing up my parents. Yeah, you can't you can't leave her now. You know, there's a baby. You need to just wait until the baby comes and you need to see how things go. And you guys need to stay together. And you can't just leave her now and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm getting it from three people. And my brother's not really saying anything. My brother's not really saying anything here. He's just kind of observing this conversation. And, oh my God, I was so mad. I was so angry. I was so angry that this turned into an argument. And I got three people telling me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. And I just, to be honest with you, I... I, I, this is probably one of the times where my brother was in my corner and I didn't see it at the time because I just felt so attacked and so deserted by these people that I'm trying to fall back on. And they're just, they're just not there. They're just not there for me. It was, it was the worst conversation I ever had with my family. Absolute worst, without a doubt. At the end of it, you know, they... I remember my mom trying to say things like, oh, you know, we support you or we're there for you. But I just, I didn't, I definitely did not feel that way after they, 
had told me that I can't stay with, that I can't get this, this divorce. I had a similar conversation with my best friend. My best friend from kindergarten, we grew up together. This is actually the friend that introduced me to Laura. We were best friends. I would still say we're very good friends, but obviously he still lives in Wisconsin and I'm in Las Vegas, so we don't we don't talk hardly that much anymore, just when I go home, basically. But I had a similar conversation with him, and he also tells me, you know, from a very, very religious perspective, you know, you need to forgive her, you need to try to make it work, you need to do this, you need to do that. And he was very, very against the idea of getting divorced. No matter what I said about how I felt, it, it just didn't matter. It didn't matter to anyone. Nobody was supporting this decision. And like I said, in hindsight, I, I kind of see why people are so opposed to it because of the fact that she was pregnant. And I'm the, I'm the guy that's divorcing his pregnant wife. I get why that looks fucking awful. I get it. But not one person wanted to see how I felt about it and wanted to know anything about that. That was my my experience in bottling these feelings up for several years was non-existent or non-important, not relevant. Fast forward a little bit again. Divorce is over. Or not even over. Let's just say in the in the uh in the works still. We're still back and forth in court. Kids born, but we're still back and forth in court. My parents continue to stay in contact with my ex-wife. My ex-wife is very, very angry about this divorce. This whole divorce was very, very bitter. It was messy. It was expensive. We fought about so many dumb things. While we still lived together... So before... I ended up keeping her house in the divorce... And she ended up leaving. But before she left and we were still living under the same roof, she would do things. And there are so many stories that I could share about this. Uh, but one of the one of the weirdest was if she would buy a gallon of milk, you know, after we separated our assets and we're, you know, we're getting nearing the end of our divorce. So everything was separated or in the process of being divided. She would buy a gallon of milk, put it in the fridge, and she would take a Sharpie and draw lines on the side of the milk carton, you know, where the milk level was, so that if I took a glass of her milk, she would know. And I I took pictures of this, you know, I would take pictures of this just for myself because I, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought she was fucking psychotic. This is the type, and that's just one example of how petty, how petty some of these divorce, some of these uh, issues in our divorce were. Despite all of that, in spite of all of her behavior, the way she was treating me, the way she was acting, all that stuff, in spite of all that, my parents kept in contact with her. My parents kept in contact with her, and every time I would talk to them about, you know, something that she was doing or something that was said or something that was going on in the court, uh, custody issues or anything like that, they would immediately jump to her defense, immediately. Well, you know... Jay, you gotta understand that she's, uh, you gotta understand that she's just angry, or you know she didn't want the divorce. Blah blah blah. They would make excuses for how she was acting, rather than just listen to how I was feeling about the situation or why I was upset. 
they would make excuses for her. They would jump to her defense, all this. It got to the point where I was getting so irritated with them. I, I didn't even want to talk to them anymore. I didn't even want to talk to them anymore. Um, again, more efforts on my part to avoid feeling like I was being abandoned. I just decided I'm, I'm just not going to talk to you guys anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. They flew out here on a vacation once uh, to see, you know, my daughter and me. And when, uh, so uh, one of their last days here, they wanted they wanted to go see my ex-wife and spend time with her. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, you know, she's still, you know, she's still like part of our family. So we still want to go hang out with her and spend time with her. And in my head, I'm thinking... You know, if my daughter or, you know, your only granddaughter was with her, that might make sense. You know, you want to go see her because I would I would be upset over that because I don't want my parents to be talking to my ex-wife. I don't want them to have any relationship with her at all, Just, you know, how because of how she treated me. But if their only granddaughter, which they only see, you know, maybe two, three weeks out of the whole year... If their granddaughter is over at her house because it's it's her day and they want to go over there to play with granddaughter, I guess I can understand that. I wouldn't I would not fault them for that. But in this instance, their granddaughter was with me. So they're leaving me and my daughter who they came to see so they can go so they can go spend an afternoon with my ex-wife. It just baffled me. What the fuck is wrong with these people? I was so angry. I was so pissed. Talk about feeling deserted by your own family. I didn't even know what to think about that. They wanted me to drive them to her house. I made them take an Uber. They did. They still did. And then she brought them back. But I was like, oh my God, I'm not willing to drive you to her house. I would think that that would be a red flag in their mind that, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do this. I'm still their son. I'm their flesh and blood. She's just the dumb bitch that I married. And yet they wanted to maintain the relationship with her. It didn't make any sense to me. And all of these things combined over time lead a person, led me, especially with what may have been a minor case of borderline personality disorder, but over time, this fear of abandonment turned into this very, very strong feeling that anyone I get close to is just going to run, and I'm just fucking terrified of that feeling to the point that like I said we take drastic measures so what is what did I do of course when I moved to Las Vegas I was afraid of feeling abandoned by them so I bounced I left and this is what's interesting with people with borderline personality disorder is they're so incredibly afraid of feeling abandoned that if they see it happening if they see someone drifting away, someone that they're losing, they just 
they're the ones that are just gone. They just run. Run for the hills. Because I would rather leave someone high and dry than have me be left high and dry. It's an odd thing to explain. It's an odd thing to understand. A couple weeks ago, I went to New York City. I went to see a girl. I went to see a girl that I thought I had a connection with. And as I predicted, the last time we, you know, the last, well, that was a midweek update at some point. I get confused because it's been so freaking long since I've done an actual episode here. But, you know, a while ago, I, I had pre, I, before I went to New York, I predicted and I told you that, you know what, we haven't talked a lot lately. She's kind of getting distant, so I don't really know if we're going to actually hang out. I don't know if we're going to talk. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect when I get to New York, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I get to New York, and again, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I land at the airport. I'm sitting at the airport. It's Saturday morning. This is an overnight flight. So Saturday morning, I start texting her. She's working. Uh, she's a firefighter there, so she's working at the firehouse. Uh, there was bad weather, so she got called into work. So she's she says she's working. She's like, I should be getting out soon, but I don't really know, blah, blah, blah. Well, when she was in Vegas, and this is where the... <laughs> when she was in Vegas uh, and we hung out, she had shared her location with me on Find find My Friends or Find Friends. Uh, it's a It's an iPhone Apple app. And for whatever reason, my location doesn't share with her anymore because you could set it so like, you know, share with one hour, share with till the end of the day, whatever. So mine doesn't share with her anymore. But for whatever reason, hers still shares with me. And I didn't realize this until, uh, until you know, I was texting her and I just happened to pull up the, um, uh, the info window that shows like, like her contact. And in that contact window, it shows her location. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, she is at the firehouse. Okay. All right, well, whatever. And so I'm, I'm just chilling at the airport because I got nothing else to do. And Uber is expensive. So I figure I'll get some food. You know, she says she'll be free in a couple hours, whatever. So I get some food. I hang out at the airport for an hour. I look back at my phone and I'm like, oh, let's see if she's still at the firehouse. I look. Now she's not. She's she's gone. She's at some, you know, wherever. It, it, it looks like a residential area on the map. So now she's in a residential area. And I'm like, huh, okay, well, whatever. Send her a text again, like, hey, you going to get out of work soon? She's like, I don't know. I think I'm going to be stuck here for a while. Well, I was like, well, maybe she's maybe that GPS location. Maybe she's on a call. Like, I, I don't know. She's a firefighter. So she's not always at the firehouse. So maybe that's what it is. And the more I watch, and now I start getting, like, the stalker side of me because I start getting paranoid. And I'm like, is she just, like, blowing me off here at the airport? She's still at this house. And and, and over over the course of the weekend, I came to realize that, that house, that location, is probably her house. Or at least where she's staying or a close friend, something like that. Because she was there a lot over the course of the weekend. First, the whole day, I end up Ubering to the hotel. And I'm sitting in the hotel by myself, like, still kind of waiting for her. I'm I'm super exhausted because I just did an overnight flight and I barely slept on the plane. So I pass out in the hotel, take a nap in the afternoon. I wake up a couple hours later. Look at my phone again, you know, what's, see what the deal is, you know. 
she's like, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with work, blah, blah, blah. And I look at her GPS again. Now she's at like Target. She's like running errands and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? She's like fucking, she's totally blowing me off. And what's funny is she doesn't even realize that I could see her GPS location because she is totally blowing me off. Then she sends me some dumb text about how her younger brother, she has really, so she has a wide age span of siblings. Her youngest brother is six years old. So she sends me a text about how her parents got in. She says her parents got into a fight and her dad like stormed out of the house and is gone and her mom has to go to work. So someone's got to watch the six-year-old brother. And so she's got to do it. And I'm like, that's a really weird story. Like that just doesn't even make sense to me. Like it doesn't even make sense to me that he would just get mad and and storm out and leave his six-year-old kid knowing that his wife had to go to work like that just didn't make any sense to me but that's what she told me and because now I'm like the stalker in me is like I think she's totally blowing me off and this is fucking ridiculous so I watch her GPS throughout the night she's at a Marriott hotel and I'm like holy shit she's totally blowing me off and what's worse she's at a different hotel she's probably fucking blowing me off for another dude that came in from out of town to see her and I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking dumb. Fuck this bitch. So I just stopped texting her. She texted me a few more times the next day. Uh, I, I didn't text back. Uh, I was just like, yeah, fuck this. This is dumb. So I did my own thing in New York. You know, I rode the train in. I stayed in Long Island because she lives on Long Island. So I was staying close to her. But then I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go to the city. Like, I'm going to go be tourist, check out Manhattan, ride the train in, all this stuff. So I spent the whole weekend there by myself and I ended up having, I was super, super pissed. You know, that whole abandonment thing. She totally deserted me after I flew across the fucking country to see her. You know, people with BPD take extreme measures because I don't think a lot of other people would have even flown across the country to see someone they barely know. For a glorified booty call almost. I mean, we had a really good connection. It wasn't just about sex. Don't get me wrong. It definitely was not just about sex with this girl. Like, I had a really good connection. I had fun hanging out with her when she was in Vegas. I had fun when I met her uh, in New York originally. Um, But, you know, yeah, I don't, I didn't think I was totally nuts for even flying across the country to see her. But like I said, I I thought it was good. I thought, I thought we got along good. We talked a lot. Um even with the distance, you know, if it was just a, if it was just a hookup, just a booty call, there'd be no point to text her nonstop, uh, uh, when we were in different States. Cause obviously there's nothing physical going on there. We're just texting. But when we were at our good, when we were at the good stage, we would text throughout the day. We'd call each other, FaceTime, whatever, different things like that. So it was like, you know, it, it wasn't just about the physical with her, but yeah, I mean, that's it. I, I didn't even see her once while I was out there. I just, I totally did my own thing. I I was, like I said, I was super pissed the first day, but, you know, I got over it. I I realized that I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I even, on the podcast uh, uh, before I went, like I said, I, I mentioned the fact that I don't even know if I'm going to see her. It's probably not going to be what I expect because she's gotten real distant, blah, blah, blah. I, I knew that. I knew that was going to happen. I think it's just the reality of it actually happening was a pretty shitty feeling. And it is what it is, you know? Live and learn. Live and learn. Never travel again for 
I was telling one of my coworkers about this and he's like, dude, don't travel more than like 15 minutes for a girl. Like, cause I live in the Northwest side of Las Vegas, like way out Northwest towards Mount Charleston. If you happen to know the geography of Las Vegas, Henderson, which is on the far opposite corner, the far Southeast side of town, uh, is a good 40, 45 minutes away, uh, up to an hour, depending on what part of Henderson, you know? And he's the, this coworker is just like, dude, don't even date someone in Henderson. Like, that's way too far. Like, 15-minute drive, and that's the max. The problem is I live, like, way, way out of Vegas, so there's not that many people within 15 minutes of me. I have to drive a little further than that. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't mind driving. I've dated people in Henderson before. I drive a good 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes to work anyways. Um, I, I'm, I'm used to that commute feeling, you know. Um, but yeah, it is, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally single for life. I, I definitely know that I, these, these fear, this fear of abandonment, these abandonment issues, which we could spend all day talking about, they honestly run so deep that I don't even know how to really have a true full on relationship with someone because it, the the fear of abandonment could be as simple as me texting someone and not getting a response within a couple hours or getting a super short response and like this person could be totally into me this person could be totally 100% into me but just busy they could just be at work but i'll look at that as oh my god they don't want to talk to me anymore they're they're done and then rather than me because i don't want to feel that way about them i don't want to feel like they're deserting me or abandoning me so, like I said, I just run the opposite way, and then it's over, you know? The longest little fling that I've had in the last couple years, the longest little fling I've had is, like, maybe three weeks. And I've been single like this since January of 2015, so this is over three years now. That's when I moved out from uh from the house that's when uh my ex and i first uh first separated while she was pregnant that was in january of 2015 <coughs> oh man our divorce wasn't finalized until april of 2016 but so i mean when you talk about how long a person's single i don't know if you count those the 14 or 15 months or whatever you know different ways of counting but i've been alone and not in a you know whatever for over three years if you just count from 2016 well then I'm, I'm coming up on two years but you know different ways to look at it to me that's kind of a long time I was with this girl for uh 10 years you know we were together we were together 10 years nine and a half or whatever it was so that's that's kind of a big that's kind of a big change to go from that to to nothing So this topic of abandonment, like I said, we could talk about this for hours. I think we'll come back to this uh, a little bit uh, next time too. I think these issues run deep and I think there's a lot more that we could discuss. I told a little bit about my story with my experiences with, with feeling this way and we can bring in, we can bring in some more ideas of, of actually, uh, maybe more of the treatment side of abandonment. How do we overcome these feelings? And I do have some things to say about that. So I think we'll probably continue that uh, next week or at least next time, if not next week, 
I'm almost afraid to say next week now because because of the fact that I've gone three weeks. I hope to God that I don't go another that I don't go three weeks without releasing another episode of Third Degree Mind. So look for it then. Like I said, look look us up on Facebook. I added that new Facebook page, uh, Third Degree Mind. Search us on there. Like us. Send us a message uh, on on Facebook. If you have any questions in the meantime, before the next episode, or you need to reach out or anything like that, you can always do so by email, borderline750 at gmail.com, or on the Facebook page now. Like us on Facebook, and you can send me a message on there. I will talk to you again soon, next week, Saturday. Look for it then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Third Degree Mind. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I will talk to you again real soon. In the meantime, remember the words of Les Brown. Shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll land among the stars.